We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Podcast. It is Thursday, March 2nd. I am Nick Whalen. Today I am not joined by DJ Trainer, nor am I joined by the great James Anderson. Instead, I'm joined by a guest whose resume really speaks for itself. He's the unofficial Brown County fifth grade single season scoring leader, my closest friend, a fellow basketball junkie. In South Bend, Indiana, we have Adam Rowdy. Good to have you on the pod. Thanks for having me on, Nick. And uh, first of all, I'd like to refute your claim of the fifth grade scoring champion. I was the uh, career scoring champion in Brown County for middle school basketball. That's unofficial, right? Well, yeah, unofficial. You won't find that in basketball reference, but uh, if, you, if you walk around and ask anybody on the street, they'll, they'll back me up. Um, so it's fitting that we're doing this. You, you're probably the only person in the world who appreciates the exploits uh, of people like Ron Dane and Tractor Trailer, RIP, as much as I do. 18 years ago to the day, this is crazy, Tractor Trailer had four blocks and only one foul in 13 minutes in a win over the Nets. Can you believe that? I'm literally speechless. Wild. I don't know how to react to that news. It's wild. Uh, I mean, the numbers really don't lie here. If you prorate that over 48 minutes, that's like 16 blocks for Tractor. So you kind of have to wonder what would have happened if he played all 48. 
Um, <laughs> but you and I hosted a radio show together during our college years at the University of Wisconsin. Is this your, you know, this is in capital letters, the return? Like, is this your return to the air since our days with WSUM? We'll see how this plays out. I'd like to use this as a stepping stone to bigger and better things. Uh, and if if this actually hits the airwaves and I don't get cut from the majority of my comments, then yeah, I think so. <laughs> Big things to come. So you're in your final year of law school at Notre Dame, not to brag. Um, but you were also recently nicknamed the Toolbox uh, because you have it all on the basketball court. How's the pickup basketball scene been at Notre Dame? Basketball scene is uh, it's pretty good. It to call me that I, I, I chuckle at the toolbox nickname because uh, it's I, I envision a toolbox. So well, you know those toolboxes that are ten to fifteen years old and lack the majority of the tools. Boy, do that's, I! Yeah, that's that's how I see myself. But the the basketball scene here is is pretty pretty stout. A lot of good athletes, uh, myself included, certainly. And uh, I've really been refining my game, and hopefully the next time we play some pickup ball, it'll really show. I, I will say I've picked up a bit of a J.R. Smith trigger when I'm behind the arc, um, and I'm, I'm certainly a streaky scorer similar to J.R., but we'll, we'll see how that comes together. Well, so, I mean, someone's got to do it. J.R. hasn't played basketball in almost three months, so it's good to see someone carrying the legacy. Um, before we get into the NBA talk, Milwaukee Bucks talk, I understand you received or you were the recipient of a Jason Williams Kings jersey. Yes. Uh, how's how's the the female the ladies scene been since you got that jersey? Well, here's the thing about the Jason Williams jersey, Nick, and I don't believe a lot of people understand this if they don't own one. Um, you really have to be cognizant of the message you're sending when you wear one in public. Now, uh, do I wear it all day every day when I'm in behind closed doors? Sure. But when I wear it outside, I get some looks. Um, I get a bit more attention than I generally would around campus. It's it's my cross to bear, and I bear it proudly. But I can't wear it every single day. You know, if I had my way, I would. Right. But it's it's a bit flashier than my my general wear. Right. Well, yeah, and that's the you know that's the thing. I, I kind of picture this as like an Arrested Development Tobias Flunke. You know, you're wearing it as like it's just like under. You're like a never. You're like a never not Jason Williams. You know, like you're just it's just on under whatever you're wearing. Uh, but I mean, as someone speaking from experience, uh, someone who wore a Latrell Sprewell uh, Minnesota Timberwolves jersey during uh, a stay at an airport, um, I, I understand what that's like. You know, to kind of feel like it's a you know, an all eyes on you type of situation. And, and it's not always fun. You know, it seems like it'd be glamorous, but that's not always the case. And I'm sure you understand that. Well, yeah, you can mentally prep as long as you want, but uh, until you actually wear it, you never really understand. All right. So let's talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, with me no longer writing for Bucksketball, I've taken a dramatic step back in terms of my uh, time spent watching the Milwaukee Bucks this season. So you've probably watched more Milwaukee Bucks basketball than I have. Um, they got smacked at home by the Nuggets last night. The final score didn't look all that bad, but they were down 30 in the second quarter, and the game was pretty much over by halftime. Um, I mean, from what you've been able to watch from this team, you know, heading into the All-Star break and, you know, the four games since, is it 100% time to just pack it in and play for the lottery? Well, speaking on last night's game, that, that game felt over before halftime even. Uh, I was planning on watching it before you'd contacted me about the podcast, and it was 
as close to a literal snoozer as possible. It was not a lot of fun. There was no energy on the court. Giannis didn't look good, couldn't create his own shot. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, has, sadly, has been the case many of the games uh, since Jabari has gone down, has looked like the best player on the floor at times for the Bucks. And to answer the question that you asked, I, you know, I'm going to sound like the hopeless Bucks fan, but I think yeah, it, it's time to navigate the team towards lottery placement. And <laughs> I'm not sure that it that hasn't already happened because it it looks like at times that the only players who haven't given up are Brogdon and Giannis already. So that may that may already be in effect. You know, I, I don't know how much I like that narrative of like the players have given up. You know, like, I I feel like that's used too often. It's like the, these players, like the, they're not huddling up, you know, at halftime and saying like, all right, man, I, I watched UCLA the other night. Lonzo Ball looked awesome, you know, against Washington. We need to get this guy on our team. Like, I feel like there's still some pride, you know, we're like, yeah, they understand the benefits of being in the lottery and, you know, kind of the ability that that provides you to add top tier talent to your roster. But at the same time, like, you know, there are, some of these guys are in contract years. Like, I, I don't necessarily buy the the team has quit mantra. Uh, I would say maybe the direction that the team is trying to go has maybe changed. But uh, a lot of that, I think, maybe falls on the coaching staff when you start, you know, putting guys like Rashad Vaughn and Thon Maker in the starting lineup and, you know, bringing veterans off the bench. So, you know, I don't know. This has been a weird season. It, it seemed like everything was kind of trending upwards and then trending downwards. And then the Jabari injury happened. And ever since then, you know, it's just, you know, it's been off the rails and it doesn't really seem like the Bucks have it in them right now to, to turn this thing around. Well, to address the Rashad Vaughn and Thon Maker comments first, I, they started, sure, but I think Rashad played five minutes, yeah. Thon played seven. So you're right, the, the players haven't given up, but you just don't see the same level of enthusiasm that you saw early on in the season, and which I, you know, in large part is why the Bucks had success, you think. Two years ago, when they made that uh, very unexpected run to the what I believe was the five seed, there was a lot of energy. The defense was gelling, and even from the start of the season this year to now, you don't see John Henson waving the towel as much. Uh, Greg Monroe has been a nice surprise, uh, playing well in this, with the second unit and scoring well, but even he's starting to miss a lot of bunnies. That it, it just seems like an effort thing. Um, and I will admit that the first thirty seconds of my reaction to your Bucks question was mostly frustration. Um, I will admit I'm a Bucks fan. I don't have to be unbiased as a member of the media. It's very brave of you to admit. I know. It's <laughs> it's a long time coming for me to say it in public on a podcast, but um, you're right. There are guys that are still playing well and um, with a lot of effort, but it just seems as a collective unit, mm-hmm. it's, it's not as uh, substantial as it was early on in the season. So if the season ended right now, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks would would be projected to pick. I am trying to do the, the counting in my head here. I think they would have the projected 12th pick, which is familiar territory uh, for the Milwaukee Bucks over the last you know decade and a half. But you know they're within five games of having the fifth worst record. You know they're only they're only four and a half ahead of Philadelphia, which sits at 22 and 38. You can flip that the other way and, and say they're only two games behind Detroit for the eighth seed. So I think they're far from out of it, like as poorly as the Bucks have played. Um, you know, teams like Detroit and Chicago and Indiana have continued to kind of look like messes while Miami continues to surge. Um, I don't think they're really out of this yet, which is, which is kind of crazy to, to think based on how they've played. Um, but at the same time, I think at some point you kind of have to choose a fork in the road 
and avoid you know picking in that 10 to 14 range that said in a draft like this you're still able to get you know the type of talent a you know a Frank Tilakina a Malik Monk could even fall into that range a TJ Leaf guys who would usually be you know going in picks three through six are now going to be going in through you know in picks nine through 15 so you know that's the one silver lining here for Milwaukee where I feel like they don't need to you know go into this extreme tank uh, but at the same time, like I said, you know, we've already we've already seen how it works out when you end up in the late lottery year after year after year. Well, I agree. And that's sort of the sentiment. I think a lot of Bucks fans share that feeling, too, is there's a fatigue when it comes to being in that eighth seed in the East. You know, what is that going to get you? You're not going to beat the Cavaliers, even if Kevin Love doesn't come back and Kyrie somehow gets hurt again. You're not be- you're not beating a team with LeBron James on it. And that's just a matter of fact. You, you you do make a good point that the Bucks could pick up a, a decent draft pick in the 12 to 15 range, more so than usual years. And I know a lot of supporters of the team would say, look, that's where Giannis was picked. Um, Henson, who's contributed a, a fair amount, is okay at the 17. At 17, you can tell I'm getting a little fatigued going through these mid, uh, yeah. mid to late lottery picks, but... <laughs> It, looking at mock drafts, I don't, I don't know that you know the values at the top of the draft every single year, and I, it, it compels me to say that I think the Bucks, if they're not going to be able to do anything without that second score alongside Giannis with Jabari going down, I, I think it behooves them to to try to enhance their draft position, whatever way that, you know, however they get there, even if that means playing Delvadova another thirty-five minutes a game. So you touched on Parker. What are the realistic expectations, you know, in your mind for Jabari going forward? I mean, I think best case scenario, he's back like this time next year, you know, maybe to start March. So you're going to get 25 games out of him. And at that point, he's coming off of the second surgery to the same knee for the same issue. Like Milwaukee, I don't think can enter this draft like they had entered the last draft thinking, all right, we're looking for our third guy. You know, we're looking for maybe even a fourth guy, someone who can be a solid starter. We're going to build around Giannis and Parker. Like the mindset when Parker went down, the whole direction of this franchise, I think, changed in some ways. You know, obviously you're still building around Giannis. He's still your guy going forward. But I don't think it's guaranteed anymore that you have his, you know, number two Scottie Pippen to his Michael Jordan for the next six, seven years like it looked like a month ago. Let me ask you this, Nick. If Jabari Parker plays like he was playing this year, averaging low 20s to high teens in points, shoots a decent percentage, and shows some additional development on the three-point shot, do you max out Jabari next year after only seeing 25 games off of a a second left ACL tear? I would not, no. Um, And it'll be interesting to see how that negotiation process goes down because if he comes back and puts up those numbers, he will have a reasonable case, you know, to command that kind of money. Um, And ultimately it's going to be up to Milwaukee to decide if they, you know, they want to be the team to kind of extend him ahead of time. Like we usually see, it's, it's unprecedented really, um, you know, for, for really good rookies or high performing rookies to not sign, you know, that early extension. You, I, I, I looked back on this a few weeks ago and tried to find the last player to not do it. And I mean, you're going like pre 2003 to even, to even find a case of that. So, you know, it's expected in these type of cases that, you know, you'll play out your rookie deal, you'll sign, you know, that rookie extension. And then, you know, four or five years down the road, you kind of decide if this is your guy going forward or if he's going to go somewhere else. And having two injuries like this already really complicates that because, even though there are these huge, massive health concerns now, we've also seen 
how good Jabari Parker can be. And we've also seen how committed that this team, uh, you know, has seemed to be to Jabari Parker when he's healthy. So, you know, I, I think ideally if you're Milwaukee, you're able to find something in the middle, right? Where you're, you're able to, to work with Jabari Parker's agency and, and kind of leverage his health and, and Parker's able to leverage how he's played and you're able to reach some sort of medium uh, that you think is fair. Unfortunately, you know, that's not always how it works. The team's looking for the cheapest deal possible. The agent's looking for the most expensive deal possible. And, and it's pretty rare in the NBA for, you know, for the two sides to come to a compromise like that. So we'll see. It's a really, really, really iffy situation. Uh, I've gone to my head. I would say no. You know, I had two ACL injuries already, you know, at age 21. I, I'm not willing to you know, invest $100 plus million in that. And my, my concern is that he gets to this point, like you mentioned, where there's about 20 games left in the season. If things are going poorly for the Bucks, they just keep him out so he can't show anything. And then they use that as negotiation leverage. Now, the Bucks' um, front office has been pretty amicable with players the last few years, uh, trying to place them in good trade positions and seemingly negotiating with all the cards on the table. But that's just a nightmare situation for a guy who clearly looked to be deserving of the max coming off the ACL tear. And I can't help but think of an Amari Stoudemire situation. Granted, he was a little bit older and was going to a big market, but giving a guy big money after significant knee injuries, they have similar games, and just never being right again. Yeah, I mean, it does remind me a little bit of, you know, the Paul George situation, although George had already signed his extension, you know, before that gruesome knee injury. I mean, he signed that extension in September, suffered the knee injury uh, the following summer, and at that point, you know, Indiana's like, you know, oh my God, we just signed this guy to a five-year deal worth, you know, over $90 million, which you know, in hindsight now looks like a great bargain compared to some of the other deals that we're seeing. Um, but, you know, at that point, it was a pretty dicey situation for Indiana. And, you know, I think obviously they're glad that they held on to Paul George. Um, and I, I think that's maybe going to be at play for Milwaukee too, where it's like if they, if they make the decision to say, you know what, we just don't trust his knee. Jabari, we like you. You played well for us when you were healthy. We can't invest in you going forward. There's always that fear that someone else is going to be the team that, you know, that gets him healthy for five years. And, you know, and he develops into the player that people thought he was. So right. it's not a good situation, and it's really going to be hanging over the Bucks through next season. Um, and it, I don't know what the direction is now. You know, it, it depends how this draft works out. You know, obviously you got to steal in Malcolm Brogdon, who has a good chance to win Rookie of the Year. But you also have to, you know, he, if he wins Rookie of the Year, you have to look at it and say, okay, he was probably the worst Rookie of the Year of all time. Uh, it's a nice accomplishment, but at the same time, you don't view Malcolm Brogdon as – you know, a future centerpiece of this organization. He's a rotation guy, but he's not a centerpiece. Um, so the Bucks, I think overall the timeline has been set back, right? I mean, as soon as Jabari Parker was diagnosed with that ACL, it went from maybe playoffs this season to, okay, now we're kind of back to where we were, you know, a year ago. It's interesting you bring that up. I actually went to a presentation that uh, the, the Bucks president uh, spoke yesterday about the Bucks timeline and I asked a question you know he was speaking more to the uh, the stadium project that's going on in downtown Milwaukee but I asked him about the own the future mantra and at what point you have to shift that mentality as the players mature and as the team gets better and this building is built and he said you know in the next couple of years we'll address that and we'll shift because obviously you can't own the future forever right and like to your point the Bucks timeline has shifted down the road, so it's just it, it's frustrating to see this um, sort of continuous pattern of 
potential burnout and then having to start it all over. So it's it's going to be interesting to see what they do with Jabari and uh, and, and the promising team of, uh, of young players right now. How much have you been watching college hoops this year? Uh, a lot of Big Ten, a lot of Big 12. So I've been conference-heavy, conference-specific, but... Okay. Um, not not a ton. So I, I haven't seen a lot of the West Coast games. I haven't seen Lonzo Ball or Fultz or any of those TJ Leaf types. Yeah, I've I've actually been trying to avoid the Big Ten at all costs, especially <laughs> the last couple of weeks. But I mean, do you have you know? For, I'm, I'm obviously you know who who Fultz and Ball and and Isaac and those guys are. But do you have like who's the dream guy as a Bucks fan that you want to, Milwaukee to get its hands on? Well, let's let's rule out Fultz and Ball because they're probably not going to get one or two. Uh, but outside of those two, do you, do you have like a guy that you really, really would like? It's really tough because in you, I, before the show you mentioned there's there could be a best player available position for the Bucks given the Jabari injury. It's I, I'm looking down the list right now of the Monks, the Marcanian, the uh, Harry Gileses. Nobody sticks out to me just because it's so confusing with the Jabari situation to me. Um, I think they still need a point guard. They still need a center because Monroe – and Henson probably won't be there long term in my eyes, so you do have to go best player available. I like I like Leaf out of UCLA a lot just because he's that stretch four that's so enticing in today's NBA. Um, you mentioned earlier if Malik Monk falls, and I think you absolutely have to take him, combo guard type of player that probably can't play the one full time, but he can offer some scoring, which would be a good dynamic he's, with, a, he's a better passer than people give him credit for like he's by no means a pure point guard and i don't i don't know that you know you'll want him playing point guard at the nba level but like fox has missed a few games the last couple of weeks and he's been just fine uh as a point guard. i'd be i'm higher i think i'm malik monk than a lot of people are i'm i'm out on Darren fox i don't i don't yeah, know how yeah, good I, it's gonna be i'm out yeah I, i'm out on fox as well I, I think he'll be a fine nba player down the road um but i mean he's Nobody talks about like how horrible he is as a shooter. I mean, he's great on D. He's he's great he's as a distributor, but he's just, he's a complete zero as a shooter. He's a nice shooting nineteen percent or something like yeah. that from three. It's right. incredible. Yeah. Um, well, no. If you're looking at this from a Bucks perspective, um, the wisest the wisest path may just be best player available, depending on who falls. If that's a project like, or not even a project, a gamble like Harry Giles. I've really liked what I've seen from Giles this year, despite his recovery from, what is it now, three knee surgeries. Yeah. Um, those projects seem to work out for the Bucks, especially on the wing position, because you never know who's going to be on the team in three years when a guy like Giles fully develops. But I, I apologize that I don't have a, a straight answer for you because there's just too much, too much time in between now and the draft to really – narrow in on one guy no for sure I, I, Giles worries me he has I mean he hasn't played much and the fact that he's like barely in the rotation for Duke like, I don't know if it's still lingering knee stuff or if he's just not ready whatever it might be um he's a guy you know if he, if he slips into the teens then you know sure grab him there but I, I would not take him you know over a guy like Leaf or or, or Monk or, or Tatum um but yeah, but then I mean, like you said, the Bucks can kind of look at this, at least in my eyes, as a best player available draft. Like Giannis being able to play four or five positions basically means that you can fill around him. And I don't think you can plan on having Jabari Parker be Jabari Parker 
you know, for the, for the future. Like, yeah, obviously that's what the hope is. And it's still very much a possibility that he could do that, but I don't think you can plan on that. So like, if, if that means that the best player available is, is a power forward or is a guy like Tatum who maybe some teams see as a stretch four, some teams see as a three, much like Jabari Parker. Like, I don't think the Bucks should be swayed by that at all. If the Bucks end up with Tatum, I would be very happy. I, I love think Tatum. he would be very happy. Um, he's very similar to a, to a Giannis type, obviously different players, Jason uh, Tatum's not quite as long, but he can score. He can get what he shoots eighty seven percent from the free throw line, which he reminds me a lot of Paul George. Yeah, if, oh, if the Bucks end up with Paul George out of this draft, they'll take it. Right, right, and I mean the thing is like James and I, you know, who's the usual Thursday host with me, like we we just constantly harp on how deep this draft is. I mean, like Jason Tatum would have gone number one in several of the last few drafts. Uh, Josh Jackson would have been, you know, a shoe in number one a few years ago. Lonzo Ball, Fultz, too. I mean, like this is this is a draft where you're getting a guy at number five who could make a strong case to go number one or two in just about any of the the previous four or five drafts. So it's it's going to be wild, and it's nice for a team like Milwaukee or a team like Minnesota, Sacramento. Like you don't have this pressing need to like really really bottom out because you know you might not get your first choice but the guy that you have number two or number three on your board is still going to be a really good player um all right let's talk briefly about last night i did not watch the bucks uh rotowire actually had a little company trip to go to the bucks game and picked like the worst possible night to do that uh so i'm kind of glad in retrospect that i sat that one out i actually watched celtics Cavs. lebron had his seventh triple double of the season Darren Williams missed a wide open corner three with about 10 seconds left that would have won it for Cleveland. Uh, but the bigger story was, was Isaiah Thomas yet again doing Isaiah Thomas things in the fourth quarter. I don't know how much Isaiah Thomas you've been able to watch, uh, but obviously you're aware of the hype. I mean, how much do you, do you like this you know, kind of underdog, he's only 5'9", look what he's doing at this height narrative that, that's really picked up for these last couple months? I like that he's become a successful player. You know, second best scorer in the NBA right now, or at least has highest points per game. It's an it's an impressive feat, especially on a team full of above average players. Jay Crowder's a great player. Actually, I'm a big fan of Amir Johnson's game, even though he's he's not contributed as much as maybe he's, uh, he's having a rough year, as his contract would indicate. Well, he had a couple threes early on last night. I saw, which was which was fun for me. Um, but to answer your question, I. I don't know how much I love the self-induced underdog commentary, if that makes sense. Um, you see all these comments floating up, floating around Twitter and things that he says about, no, I, I missed this shot in the skills challenge for, or the three-point contest. I know he wasn't. He wasn't in the three-point contest, right? I missed it. I had an obligation. No, he wasn't. Yeah. Um, but him responding to comments about that saying, oh, it must not have been the fourth quarter – I'm, I'm, I'm over it. I'm over the Isaiah Thomas thing. Uh, love to see what he's doing. I kind of watching Boston plays a lot of fun, but it's, it's not as compelling. As, I don't find it as compelling as others would, I think. Yeah, me neither. I, I'm not a fan of it at all. I, I really don't like the, the little guy narrative. Like, give, I would rather watch six foot nine, you know, LeBron just, just do LeBron things. Like I, I, I respect Isaiah Thomas, of course. I mean, it's, it's wild what he's doing and how efficiently he's doing it. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, the, the comments from Isaiah are, are strange. I mean, last night after the game, a reporter 
you know, had, had started a question with something along the lines of, you know, you were you were slowed down in the first half. It seemed like, you know, they kind of had your number because they did. He didn't play well in the first half. He played great in the second half, but, you know, the Cavs were able to lock him down uh, in the first half. And, like, right away, he's like, no, no, nobody can stay in front of me. Don't, don't you ever say that. It's like, really, dude? Like, what are you talking about? You shot, like, 30% in the playoffs the last couple of years. So, I think it, I think it's interesting. Uh, it's something that I never ever saw coming. Like I would have never in a million years, if you would ask me, you know, two years ago when the Suns were running out three point guards and he was one of them, I would have <laughs> never said like, yeah, Isaiah Thomas, that guy will be, you know, the second leading scorer in the NBA in a couple of years. I think that's why the story is compelling, right? Because yeah. nobody saw it coming. Five nine guy out of Washington. Um, it it's awesome to see what he's doing. It's impressive. He's five nine. Everybody knows the narrative. But I'm just I'm not as sold. I think you you share my sentiment. It's it's not as compelling because he hasn't won anything yet, right? He what are they third in the East right now? It's yeah, they're second in the East. They're, they're a couple games behind Cleveland now after last night. Um, I mean, I I just don't I just don't know what the ceiling is for this whole this whole like Isaiah Thomas Celtics hype train. Like statistically, he's by, he's the worst defending point guard in the NBA. Like, no matter what metric you look at, he's a huge liability on that end. Uh, that's not to say that, that guys like Kyrie aren't, aren't negatives on the, off, on the defensive end, but, you know, Thomas kind of takes it to another level there. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, just, it just feels like this is a nice story, but, you know, when push comes to shove, can you trust a, a 5'9 Isaiah Thomas to be the guy who gets you past Cleveland or, you know, in that event gets you, you know, into legitimate contention in the NBA Finals. I don't know. Is, is this a guy that you want to give $100-plus million to on an extension in a year? That's another question. Yeah, and I was going to save this for our, our later discussion on who's the best remaining team in the East outside of Cleveland, but I think it uh, warrants conversation now. It's just, I based on what Boston did at the deadline, I believe... And obviously, I'm not plugged in like like you are, Nick. But I believe that Boston's ready to move on from Thomas, just from just from seeing their inactivity. Now, I know you've talked quite a bit about the trade deadline and all those things, but with Isaiah's Thomas's contract coming up soon, and their unwillingness to go after it now, when they have a fairly well composed roster with Horford, Crowder, Thomas, Avery Bradley, guys that are going to be coming up with contracts, obviously outside of Horford. They're not going all in, so I don't think they feel as if they can, like you said, get to the finals on Isaiah Thomas's um, majority, doing more the majority of the scoring. Yeah, I mentioned this to DJ uh, on a podcast earlier this week, and I think it makes the most sense for them to go all in for one year next year. Isaiah Thomas is making less money next year than he is right now uh, by a difference of, of about $300,000. So you get him at, at like $6.2 million next year. You can go sign Gordon Hayward. You could trade for Jimmy Butler in the offseason. And you could keep Isaiah Thomas, you know, with Al Horford, with Gordon Hayward, you know, with whoever else, you know, is still on. If you don't trade for Jimmy Butler, you don't trade for Paul George or whoever else, you still have Avery Bradley, you still have Jay Crowder, you still have Marcus Smart, et cetera. Plus you're getting whoever this, you know, number one or number two pick is going to be with the Brooklyn pick. Uh, that's still a pretty nice roster. You're the second best team in the East right now. But then you still have that decision to make in a couple of years because Isaiah Thomas is going to be due for, you know, probably more. He's going to make more than three times more money on his next deal than he is right now. Avery Bradley is going to want probably two or three times more than he's making. I mean, you have all these super team friendly under market contracts coming up 
all within the same couple of years, you really have big time decisions to make with that franchise. And then you have these other these other Brooklyn picks coming in that that are good and bad. You know, like obviously you want these picks, and it, Boston would never tell you that they're not glad that they that they have these as assets, but it does kind of throw a wrench in things. And I just, I don't know. Like, do you want to sign Isaiah Thomas, who will be, you know, 29 years old to a five-year extension next summer when he's the worst defender in the NBA? Like, it's a really tough spot for Boston because he's worked his way into being, you know, probably the most beloved player in Boston since Paul Pierce. And, you know, I think that's a tough sell to a lot of, you know, a lot of the the casual portions of that fan base. I agree with you. I, the only reason I bring it is up bring it up is because I think it's indicative of what the Boston front office thinks Isaiah Thomas could do. Um, their failure to put all the chips in the center of the table shows me they don't think that he can guide them to to the I guess the the beyond the Eastern Conference Finals and to the NBA Finals. And I was looking up Allen Iverson's statistics. Obviously, very comparable player, undersized, but scores a lot. A lot of the game relies on. Uh, on quickness, once Iverson turned 33, his his numbers plummeted. Uh, and conceivably, if you're looking at a contract extension for Isaiah Thomas next year, that's going to bring him into 34, 35, 36. Well, maybe not 36, but into the latter years of, uh, of his career. And then you have a lot of dead money with a guy who isn't going to be pr- providing much, especially when you're uh, going to be bringing up these players that the Brooklyn picks are going to provide. Right, that's the thing is uh, you kind of have to pick which timeline you want to go with. Usually, when you're when you're building a team, you know it's either we're going to rebuild and try to align these players' primes, you know, as a team like Golden State has done so so well, um, you know, or you're going to go for it now. Like Boston having those Brooklyn picks kind of allows them to do both. You know, like you're able to be the second best team in the East, and then you're also able to add a big time asset in the draft, and then okay, you also have enough cap room that you can go sign a big time free agent. So. A lot of different directions that they can go. I, I don't know that there's a way that they can really botch this. Um, I think we'd look at it a lot differently if there wasn't a team like Cleveland at the top. You know, even if even if Cleveland was just a little bit worse, if LeBron was two years older, and you know, Cleveland, Boston, Washington, Toronto are kind of all in the same tier as opposed to it being Cleveland and then a separate tier of those other three teams. I think it'd be different, but there's still that specter of LeBron James, you know, kind of hovering over the Eastern Conference and. If it's true that Boston is kind of waiting that out, I think that's a fine way to go because with the amount of assets that they have stockpiled, they're going to be in a really, really good spot in a couple of years. I agree. I'm excited to see what happens with the Brooklyn picks. That I, you know, everybody's looking forward to this draft. Actually, I should ask you, are you going to be covering the draft again for Rotowire? As far as I'm aware, yeah, I should be. Um, shout out to our, our good mutual friend, Sean Zock, who will be... Uh, at this point, he doesn't know it, but he'll be providing me with hospitality for that weekend. But yeah, as far as I'm aware, I'll be out there. So looking forward to that. Uh, we touched on Boston already. The Wizards won big in Toronto last night. This game was kind of similar to the Bucks game where the final score wasn't all that bad, but the Wizards were up huge early in this one. Obviously, no Kyle Lowry for Toronto. He's going to miss the rest of the regular season. With that in mind, um, how do you rank Boston, Washington, and Toronto uh, in terms of which of the three can give Cleveland the best run come playoff time? When it comes to just Cleveland, and we're not looking at who's going to finish 2, 3, and 4, a lot of this boils down to what DeMar DeRozan can do, in my eyes. 
if he's a bona fide number one player and we haven't seen him without Lowry at this level, um, his last three game averages are 37.6 points a game. That's it's pretty substantial, probably not sustainable. Um, but I think the answer really relies on what you're going to see out of DeMar DeRozan. Um, Boston's not really moving the needle for me with, you know, we've discussed at length the Isaiah Thomas thing. Uh, Washington's played pretty well, definitely as of late. You know, gave us that great game against Cleveland a couple weeks ago when LeBron hit that turnaround three-point bank shot. Um, so I think that that's a pretty good sign that they can give Cleveland some good run. Uh I think I'm still going to go with Toronto. I like the Ibaka pickup. I like the P.J. Tucker pickup. I think they're going to at least be have an outside shot getting the two seed and, and playing Cleveland, bringing them maybe to six games. Obviously, injury uh, injury concerns are a big deal, Lowry and Love included, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they go six games again this year. If everyone's healthy, I, I'm with you. I think it's Toronto. I, I think... Everyone was pretty underwhelmed, it seemed, by the additions of Ibaka and, and P.J. Tucker. But I, I understand that Serge Ibaka is not the guy that he was for OKC two or three years ago. But he's still a huge upgrade over, you know, they were starting Jakob Hurdle. They were starting Pascal Siakam at times. He's a big upgrade over Patrick Patterson, over, over Sullinger, who they sent uh, to Phoenix in the Tucker deal. Like they, they beefed up that roster and are really, really deep all of a sudden, and, and I think that could give Cleveland some problems. Washington I like a lot, uh, but it's right now it's, it's Wall and Beal, it's Otto Porter shooting the lights out from three, and, and that's about it. And, you know, you, I, their starting five is really good. Their bench, even with the addition of Bogdanovich, like, it, that's it. You know, they were the, they're 29th in the league in bench scoring. Uh, I think if they could have added, you know, one or two more pieces, I would maybe put them above Toronto because I think Wall and Beal are right there with Lowry and DeRozan in terms of you know, a, a backcourt twosome. But I, I just don't think Washington is quite deep enough, and, and that could come back to hurt him in the playoffs, especially, you know, with Cleveland adding Bogut and, and more importantly, Darren Williams, who, you know, you talk about the upgrade from, you know, Siakam slash Pirtle to Serge Ibaka. The upgrade from Kay Felder slash Iman Shumpert playing out of position at the one to <laughs> Darren Williams is is massive. No, I wanted to bring up the Darren Williams thing. Do you, does that really move the needle for you? Because yeah. when I saw that, I thought... You know, people have been talking about Darren Williams being washed up for about four or five years, and maybe some of that talk wasn't warranted, but it's the we've hair. seen it in the past. Mo bringing in Mo Williams to be LeBron's point guard, Mike Bibby being the point guard, starting all 20 games in the playoffs that what one year. He shot like 33% in the I finals. Know. God, I... <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean to rake up bad memories for you. Yeah, but a, I, you, can't say, you can't say Mike Bibby heat like that. That's a, that's a trigger <laughs> word. Well, I guess what I should say is, watch, I was not surprised seeing Darren Williams clank that three last night no. wide open off of a great pass. Yeah, I lo- love the criticism of LeBron, too, for passing that. Like, that was a perfect pass. Darren Williams is a pretty good three-point shooter. He's in the corner where he shoots, like, 40%. Like, that was fine. Oh, you have um, to make that pass every time. Yeah, no, that was the right play. Whatever. I mean, that that loss, I think, meant... That game meant a lot less for Cleveland than it did to Boston, and that's kind of how it goes when you're the reigning champs. But no, I think the Williams addition is big. I think, you know, on paper it's not huge, and, and that makes sense. Williams is 32. He hasn't really been himself since, you know, like 2012. But at the same time, you know, basically what I said before, it's, it's, it's more of 
what were you what did you have there before versus what do you have now and even though Darren Williams is 32 years old and a shell of his you know former is he better than Chris Paul self he's still a hell of a lot better than Kay Felder so uh, it basically means Kay Felder's not playing you know it means you don't have to have him on Shumpert you know kind of be doing things he's not comfortable with when Kyrie and LeBron are resting I think in the finals, there might be games where Darren Williams plays six minutes. There might be a game where he plays 25 minutes, and that's really the reason they got him, and it's going to be the same way for Bogut. Well, I think an underrated aspect of this acquisition is allowing LeBron to rest a little bit more. Um, yes. Obviously, when Felder's on the floor, you're not going to expect the scoring output that that you would if you had a, a suitable backup point guard, um, and that's something that they seem to feel comfortable with in Darren Williams, so... Uh, if that means more rest for LeBron James, that alone is a win for the Cavaliers. Exactly. Um, so the Pelicans, we'll keep the rest of these brief. I want to get to MVP stuff. But Pelicans got their first win of the DeMarcus Cousins era. Cousins, of course, did not play in that game. He was suspended. He'll be back on Friday. Um, you know, did you get the sense that the Pelicans can catch Denver? Um, or, you know, catch, you know, they're still behind Sacramento. They're behind Minnesota, Portland, and Dallas. I think Dallas and Sacramento are teams that want to be going in the other direction and will go in the other direction, but Portland's not going to give up, and the Timberwolves you know, are only three games back of Denver. I, I was guilty of this, uh, as were a lot of other people, of just kind of penciling New Orleans in as the eighth seed once they got Cousins. I don't know that they necessarily have it in them with only 21 games remaining. Well, I consumed a lot of NBA podcasts after that Cousins trade trying to make sense of everything, thinking that Sacramento was out of their mind. Um, you're right. The The Nuggets aren't going anywhere. And after watching them last night to bring this podcast full circle, they absolutely throttled the uh, the Bucks big men. Jokic is a real deal. Um, he's not flashy, but he, he gets a job done, and he's going to be, I think, a good player for a long time. With that said... The Pelicans, and uh, granted, I haven't watched a full game with the with the new addition, right? But I don't see a scenario where Boogie Cousins isn't suspended for at least three more games. Um, I think you did this earlier in the week on your podcast. That's a, that's a lot of tease. Yeah, well, he's no Rasheed Wallace, but he's gonna he <laughs> he's on a good clip right now. Was that six technical? That would fouls? be well. That would need six more to get. Yeah, to get um, you know three three games suspended. Yeah, I'm taking over two and a half. Give me the over on two and a half. Yeah, those. Well, that's the thing is like if they, you know, if he comes back and they lose like seven out of eight, and like they're it's just it's just obvious that they're not going to get the eight, then he might start mailing it in, and at that point, it doesn't really matter. That, that's where you might cash in on that. Yeah, and I, I'm looking at the standings right now. It's got it's got to be that eight seed because Oklahoma City, Memphis, the Clippers are all right. eight games ahead of them. It's it's really it, it comes down to Denver falling out. And Portland, like you said, in Minnesota, not figuring something out in a similar way that Denver did, right? Yeah, you're, you're, the top to seven are locked in, and barring some, unless Russell Westbrook, I don't know what, you know, unless he just decides not to show up the rest of the season, they're locked in. You know, Memphis isn't going anywhere. Those top five aren't going anywhere. It's, you know, it's going to be a four or five team battle for that one spot. And how incredible is it that? Very few people pointed out that Denver was really running that Jokic lineup just before the All-Star break, right. and they went on that, that that good run, and now everybody's talking about it. It, yeah. it was right there, and <laughs> unless Boogie and AD can put up 25 and 15, 
for the rest of the season. I don't know how that New Orleans roster get you know wills themselves to the A seed. Well, they might even do that, and it, it might not be enough. That's the thing. I mean, right. they play, it's not like they haven't played well. Like both of them, when they've been on the court, have been great. It's just I think everyone was so blinded, and again, myself included, by you know the magnitude of this trade, and you know it, it was out of nowhere. There was all the, there were all these teams that you heard were interested in Boogie. The Pelicans were never one of those teams. It was always. Oh, Pelicans would be interesting, but they don't have any assets. Who would they trade for them? Little did we know that the Kings were not in search of any assets. Um, but, you know, I think we just, I was so excited to, to see these two play together that you kind of didn't realize, like, oh, no, like, they only have Drew Holiday and that's it. Like, why are they waving Terrence Jones? He might be their fourth best player. Like, Etwan Moore is going to have to play 35 minutes a night now. And you can't, you know, it's been proven time and time again that unless your top two or three guys are transcendent type of players like Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade and LeBron James you can't just fill out your roster with old Mike Bibby and Eric Dampier and guys like that like it's right yeah shout out to Eric um it it just doesn't work so I I think this Pelicans roster might not be quite you know robust enough whereas you look at Denver they don't have anyone who's as good as DeMarcus Cousins or Anthony Davis but you line those two teams up you know Pelicans have the two best guys. Denver might have nine of the next best ten. Right. No, um, I, I agree with you. I don't. I don't see a scenario unless the Pelicans figure it out. Unless Drew Holiday becomes, you know, two tiers above what he is right now, and that's. I, I just looked up his stats, expecting to be able to criticize a little bit. He's having a serviceable year. He's been he's good. Having, yeah, he's sixteen and seven as as your point guard. Only played in forty six games. I mean. I don't know what else this, this uh, Pelicans roster can do to really make a push. Being yeah, down. I mean, they can't do anything now. Obviously, they didn't get any buyouts. Um, there's really nothing they can do there. I mean, Jimmer, oh, I, Jimmer, Jimmer's coming back. I saw he uh, he had a big game in China last night. He's had a lot of big games. He's averaging like 37 a game um, <laughs> on the season. No, he's like, I'm serious. He's actually going to be back. Someone's going to sign him. At the very least, he'll be back in the D-League. Uh, but I mean, like the Nets might sign him. Like I, I legitimately think the Pelicans will take a look. I mean, they need somebody to score off the bench. I, I don't think you can rely on Davis and Cousins to play, you know, forty-five minutes apiece, which they might ultimately have to do. Um, all right, I wanted to talk about the Pistons, but they're they're boring and we're, we're running short on time, so we'll skip that. I just I just want to get out there that if there's a team that over the next month and a half we we hear there was like a big fight in practice and like a player has like a black eye during a game i want to make it clear that i think the pistons are going to be that team well i want to be on record saying i think the pistons should blow it up um obviously there's no market for drummond but i just don't see where that roster improves yeah it's it looks so good coming into the year and coming off of That's last season like i i really thought that they gave they gave Cleveland the most trouble out of any team in the East last year. I think Cleveland, you know, they went to six with Toronto. They swept Detroit. They swept Atlanta. Uh, but I, I think Detroit played them the closest. You know, they won all four of those games, but none of them were easy victories. Uh, and, they, and at that point, the Cavs were shooting the lights out. Those first two rounds, they were making everything, and Detroit still kept it close. Uh, they, they, they still forced Cleveland to play their style a lot of the time, and it just hasn't translated. Like Reggie Jackson's knee issue to start the year – it's it just derailed them and and they haven't recovered so i mean props to them for still being a borderline 500 team and sitting in eighth right now but this roster whereas you said last year you know it's all right everybody on this roster or every you know core player is 27 or younger they're going to keep getting better like it just seems like no one except for marcus morris and maybe kcp got any better and that's 
that parallels my exact thinking is it looks good on paper and it, two, three years ago, if you would have told me the Pistons would be really, really good in a few years, I would say yes, but it just, they seem to stagnate it as far as their internal development goes. And I don't know what that's a product of, if that's the locker room, if that's Stan Van, I, who I'm a big fan of, but it just, it seems like time to try to move the assets, which it sounds like they're trying to do with Drummond a little bit at the deadline anyways. But uh, I don't, I don't see any internal improvement the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean they've pretty much made everyone available from what it sounded like, and I don't think there was much of a market. I, and which is interesting because a lot of those guys are on really good contracts. You know, I can understand why no one would be interested in in Reggie Jackson. They're going to keep Contavious Coldwell Pope, uh, but you know, like if they were truly shopping Morris and and Drummond, you would you would think that there would be somewhat of a market. Um, the, that's the other thing about the Cousins deal that I haven't heard talked about all that much is I think it set the tone for the rest of the deadline, you know, where it's like, you're not going to give up anything more than, you know, than New Orleans gave up because why would you? Because you're not getting a player who's as good or better than Cousins. It's incredible to see how far we've come because it's, it seems as if it's only been two yeah. years since Drummond was two first and maybe a, a, a decent asset on the side. I mean, that would have been like this summer, this past <laughs> yeah, summer. Yeah. Well, and the other thing we should touch on quickly with New Orleans is that top three or that pick that they gave to Sacramento in the boogie deal is top three protected. And, you know, right away, I, everyone just laughed that off and was like, okay, one, why would Sacramento even let them protect that? Two, it's not going to matter. The Pelicans will be better. They'll, they'll challenge for the eighth. You know, they'll probably be picking 12th. They're closer right now to the bottom three than, than you would think. I mean, it's, it's five games. They're, at, they're 26 and a half games back of first place. The Los Angeles Lakers are, are 31 and a half back. So, you know, at, at some point, if if they don't improve, if Cousins and Davis just can't figure this out with, with the, you know, the crap talent around them, it's not inconceivable that New Orleans could, you know, try to do what they can do, whatever that may be, to slide into that top three, which obviously would help them a ton and would make that trade look even worse in retrospect. The nice thing for them is the East is going to be terrible at the bottom. The Knicks, the 76ers, Magic Knicks, they're all going to tank. I would have said the Hornets, too, but they're obviously going for, for, for it all with uh, Jennings signed. Right. Well, uh, Jennings is with the Wizards. Oh, yeah, never mind. Hornets to the bottom, fake, then. Fake news on that one. Fake news from Stan Van Gundy. Well, as a, as a Bucks fan, I get so excited to see Jennings still being employed. Um, it doesn't seem like a terrible pick now. No, not at all. Even if sometimes you just have to shoot 38%. That's just how it works. Um, It's an endearing 38%. Yeah. All right, let's talk MVP stuff. Um, I I just want to know your top five before we get into it. Like, how do you rank your top five in order order of, you know, first through fifth, I guess, in terms of, like, whoever you're ranking number one, that's the guy you think is MVP. Okay, I'll, I'll run through the five and, and await your comments afterwards. Yes. Um, I'll provide I'll, no I'll, hold, I'll hold my applause. Okay, um, one, Westbrook, then I'm going LeBron, Harden, Kawhi, and Curry in that order. Interesting, okay. So, um, all right, yeah, little, you, you have the floor, go ahead. Thank you. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit counterintuitive at top, right? So Westbrook's got the high usage rate. I just, am, I'm so compelled by the triple-double average, um, Having that team in as good a position as it is, he's still, I believe, seventh in the West right now, but uh, they're, they're not that far away from even being the four seed. And that, that team is 
is not littered with talent around him. Obviously, I'm a huge Steven Adams fan. Obviously, he's a good player, but um, the triple-double really does it for me. And the way he goes about it, I know he steals a, little, a few rebounds here and there, but I'm really compelled by the averages and just the traditional statistics. And the opposite way, LeBron, he to have Cav- the Cavaliers at number one despite some early struggles and the amount of minutes he's played and what he's done with those minutes, I just... I think you'd be the first person to say that LeBron could win MVP every year, right? That's that's a narrative you hear very frequently, and it's one that I, I adhere to. But think, I think this year more than most, uh, LeBron has really put the team on his back and, yeah. and, and gotten them to where they are. It, it says a lot about the current NBA that you can average 26, 9, and 8, shoot 54% from the floor, 39% from three, have the best record in the Eastern Conference by three games and be, you know, arguably third or fourth in MVP. It's it's wild. I mean, I, you know, I'm the I'm the biggest LeBron guy there is, but it's it's still Harden and Westbrook ahead of him for me. I, I would go Harden one. I would go Westbrook two, uh, LeBron three, Kawhi four. Um, and I, w- I would I would have gone Kevin Durant at five. I think he's going to be out of it now, uh, assuming right. he misses a big chunk of time. And the fewest games ever played by an MVP in a non-lockout year, Bill Walton in 77-78. He only played 58, but that's by far the exception uh, since that season. And again, 77-78, the fewest ever played by an MVP was Iverson was 71. So KD's on pace to miss more games than that. And it's also not like KD was you know far and away above everyone leading the MVP race when he went down. I don't think he was going to win it anyway. Um so what, so what, so it's just basically the triple doubles is what puts Westbrook ahead of Harden and LeBron. For me, yeah, I, I it, I want to say it's more complex than that, but it may just be that simple. Yeah. Um, to get that triple double, I think it was the sixty sixty one season with Robertson when he got it, whenever it was. So that that'd be a little early, um, oh but I it, it's very compelling and like you said, it's very indicative of how thick this MVP race is, right? Um, Harden has had an incredible season. Granted, I've watched Harden the least out of the five in my top five. Um, with that said, he, I, I, it's the defense for him and Curry with me. And it's why Kawhi is number four on the list, despite having um, the fewest traditional statistics in his favor. Uh, Kawhi's got a pretty pretty ragtag bunch around him but he's just such a monster on defense um and he has shown signs of being able to create his own shot when he needs to a few games this year he's been able to go to the baseline pull up and knock and bury a jumper whenever he wanted so it's i want to put Kawhi in the top three i really do because i think he deserves it but i just i can't put him above Harden with with the numbers he's putting up Right. I mean, and again, like like we've both said now, it's indicative of just how unbelievably deep the the top of the league is, right? I mean, we're not, how many years are we removed? Like three from Joe Kim Noah finishing in the top three? Wow. What like, a, like what I, see, a, I think that's not, not to take anything away from Joe Kim Noah, but that, that season that he had, like he was really good. He would be eighth or ninth at the highest this season. I mean, it's crazy. Like the the, the guy who's going to finish fifth or sixth, it might be Steph Curry, it might be Isaiah Thomas, who we just talked about, you know, averaging thirty points per game and and shooting forty six percent from the floor. I mean, it's it's absolutely wild, and I think it's got to be frustrating for guys for like you know guys like LeBron who 
know, this is a vintage LeBron year. This this year is basically what he did when he won his four previous MVPs, and all of a sudden it's not enough. And it's not enough for Harden, who still doesn't have an MVP and is averaging 29, 11, and 8. And we're like, eh, I don't know. He just hasn't been all that good on D. It's, it's crazy. They're, the Rockets are on pace for 57 wins. They're going to be the third seed. Um, I made a little list of pros and cons, which, which I shared with you for these guys. I just want to run through that quickly and, and see you know, if, if you refute any of these, if you have any points to make. Uh, so we'll start with Westbrook. Pros. Probably going to average a triple-double. That's pretty big. The Thunder are 24-6 and six when Russ averages a triple-double. 11 and 19, or when Russ puts up a triple double, I should say, 11 and 19 when he doesn't. You can go back and forth and say, like, okay, so what about one of those games where he had nine rebounds or nine assists? Like, did that really sway the win or the loss? And that's up for debate. I get that. Um, but the triple double thing plays into the narrative. And if you're someone who believes in, you know, that you need some sort of story behind you to help drive the voting, then I think Westbrook probably blows everyone else out of the water in that category, right? Right. Uh, at the same time, the Thunder beat in the seventh seed hurts him. Yes. If you're talking, if you're talking about the underlying story, um, but with that said, it's I, I'm a sucker for underdog movies. The one Me Against the World movies where the the main character goes in and, and fights every bad guy. The John Wicks, the uh, the Takens, Airbud, yeah. Well, right. I mean, it's <laughs> they've all been copying Airbud since the '90s, right? But Westbrook has really embodied that that sort of Hollywood script of me against the world. And granted, maybe that's why he's at one and Kawhi's at four for me, because Westbrook has, without trying too terribly hard, uh, really pushed that, saying, I'm, I'm going to go crazy this year, I'm going to have a great year, and doing it mostly with his play. And I think that's very compelling to me, and I would imagine to a lot of voters. Um, Harden obviously gets the tip of the cap for the the voter who's going to look more at advanced statistics with his three-point shooting and his assist rates. Um, but I, I, the traditional st- statistics just win in, com- in combination with the narrative to me. Right, and you mentioned the seeding. That's a major, major issue. It's not just an issue. I mean, no MVP, uh, as I'm looking back you know, through the, the mid-'80s, every MVP has been a first or a second seed, with the exception of Jordan in 88, the Bulls were the third seed, and Malone in 99. The Jazz were technically the third seed, but they were tied for the best record in the West, and via tiebreaker, they ended up as the three. So there's really no precedent at all for a player who's probably going to finish sixth or seventh in the Western Conference winning the MVP. That's the main thing, I think, that works against Russell Westbrook. The other thing, you know, if you want to look at the cons, um, league high usage by nearly 5%. And that number, that gap between him and number two, who's DeMarcus Cousins, is probably going to grow, you know, as Cousins plays with another high usage guy in Davis. Uh, so, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing considering he's shooting fairly well from the floor, um, you know, 42% for a guy who takes as many shots and as many difficult shots as he does is pretty solid. But you'll hear that argument. Um, in terms of Harden, pros, Rockets are on pace for 57 wins third seed so if you want to use that historical precedent he's on track to you know to meet the minimum seed requirement that we usually ask of our mvps he's the only all-star on his team like westbrook defense you know you mentioned defense is an issue and he's he's still the worst defender of this group uh, unless you want to include isaiah thomas but i feel like he's 
he's improved to the point where it's no longer this like laughable liability that it was two years ago. And even if that means that he's gone from being a horrific defender to only like a kind of bad defender, people still might give him like subconscious credit for that. It's like, oh, he's gotten better on defense when it really only means that he's like borderline average. Well, I want to address the usage rate first. Uh, usage rate doesn't mean a lot to me as far as MVP numbers go. I understand it. It is a value for looking at a player's efficiency, but when you put up stats, put up stats in my mind, and that may be an antiquated notion, but I, I, I just really am impressed by anybody who can have a usage rate of, what does what Westbrook have, 42%? That's obviously Westbrook's my number one guy, right? I'm pontificating on that point, but let me ask you this, Nick. If the Rockets go on a bit of a slide, the Jazz catch them, let's say for argument's sake, the Clippers catch them too and they end up in the five seed, does that remove Harden in your eyes from the conversation? In my eyes, no. Um, but in the eyes of the voters, yes. I think I think they need to finish okay. third or second, which is not going to happen. They need to finish third or higher for Harden to be a legitimate MVP candidate. Whether you think that's right or wrong, I think that's just how it is. Because, I mean, if they fall to fifth, that means that the Clippers have made up six games from where they are right now. And, you know, in that hypothetical, then the Rockets would have been on a pretty major slide for the Clippers to be able to make that up. Right. And I guess if I'm looking at it from somebody with an MVP, MVP vote, which I do not have, awaiting mine Whoa, still. What? Yeah. They took um, it from you? Well, I, Stern promised me one, and then Silver came in. Yeah, I think there's like yeah. politics. Yeah. Well, you Obama. know how that Yeah, I do. <laughs> exactly. Um, but if I'm looking at it from that perspective, I think Harden will win it because, like you mentioned, the, the, seating, com- or, uh, the seating argument is big. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know that you can give it to a, a guy on a team in the seventh seed. Um, yeah. And that's even before you mentioned the, the historical perspective. Um, Harden has been good, and I, I brought up the defense thing, which is why I, I knocked him. It's not like Westbrook is, is an elite defender at the one. He gets a lot of steals, but he, he gambles a lot, and he really only has really pretty much the exact same numbers at, at, of, of steals per game as, mm-hmm. as Westbrook does, so... Or excuse me, as Harden does. Yeah, yeah. The, the the advanced numbers like Westbrook a little bit more, and and a lot of that is you know on off stuff. Like the Thunder are a really bad team when he's off the court, but you know, and in some ways the same goes for Houston. Uh, I mean, looking at this overall, like I can't remember there being this tight of a race between this many candidates, even this late in the season. Like I'm looking back at the you know the past list of MVPs here, and like you know, as guys who follow the league closely, like. There was there was some debate the last few years. Last year, not so much. You knew you knew by this point in the year it was going to be Curry, barring an injury, basically. You know, before that though, it was Curry, Durant, LeBron, LeBron, Rose, LeBron, LeBron. I don't ever remember being surprised when any of those announcements came through. You know, Rose winning in 2011 was a little iffy because LeBron had played so well in Miami, but then you know LeBron had the narratives working against him, and right. you know it was like, eh, okay, yeah, I can see this. I guess this is what I ex- expected. Like. Right now, if, if they announce the MVP tomorrow and it ended up being Kawhi Leonard, I would be like, okay, sure. If it ended up being Westbrook, all right, fine. If it was LeBron, that wouldn't even be all that much of a surprise. Like, there are four or five very, very legitimate candidates who, you know, like, I don't, I don't know how these people are going to vote around the country. That's, that's the thing about these awards is you have, you know, we're talking about advanced stats. We're talking about traditional stats. We're talking about which guys we've seen, which guys we haven't seen quite as much. Like, that whole thing is all kind of 
you know, it, it's expounded upon with, with this large voter base that you have. I mean, you have some guys who don't care about advanced stats, some guys who do care about advanced stats. And I think it's going to be kind of like this big, like average of all those things, like who, you know, who can rank the highest in, in each of those like subcategories is going to win this thing. And I don't really know what that answer is right now. Yeah. Another thing you mentioned on, on your uh, breakdown is voter fatigue. And I think that's a pretty large aspect of this, which is why LeBron isn't being taken totally seriously. You don't hear a lot of people put him at number one. Um, you have to almost look back to the first Steve Nash MVP to sort of say, wow, that's, I'm not sure how, how that happened. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I trust me, I've had this conversation with James multiple times. He doesn't want to hear it. He, he claims I'm just forgetting how good those Suns teams were. Uh, but let me tell you, averaging 15.5 points, 11.5 assists, and, and 3.5 rebounds isn't going to get you the MVP this season. Which is a great thing for the NBA, right? I mean, this has been an absolutely insane season for individual performances incredible yeah that, i mean that nash mvp that first one in terms of win shares was the you know the fifth worst mvp ever and the second worst mvp you know since the mid 70s like i not not to not to brag on steve nash by any means but any well, of the any of these guys that we've talked about would have cakewalked to the award in, in 05 or 06 if you want to cite me as somebody who's going to support you in your arguments with james in the future by all means yeah go i'm gonna have to just keep you on call honestly look even look at the dirk mvp in 07 <laughs> like is, is averaging twenty four and a half, nine and three and a half, gonna win you the MVP this year? Like no, not at all. Definitely not. No, no, yeah. I agree with you. It's 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 a tight race, and we sh- I, I I should note my breakdowns one through five. Uh, you could you could show me a complete reversal of a Curry one, and I would still you would have a compelling argument. I think. Yeah, I, I we're, think we're leaving Isaiah Thomas completely off this. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll get to IT. Let's let's get to let's do LeBron quick. We'll we'll buzz through this one. We've talked enough about LeBron both on and off podcasts. But are you, are you pros, sure? You, you, do you believe that? I do believe it. Okay. Dude, T Mac and and Drew back home have just been hounding me on on my LeBron takes lately. It's getting to be an issue. Um, but pros for LeBron: Cavs are in first place in the East with the injuries to Love and Jr. So he meets that you know top three finish requirement. The Cavs' record is horrible when he sits. They lose badly pretty much every time he's in. The, he's out of the lineup. The efficiency has been off the charts. He's he's putting up you know year three in Miami type of LeBron numbers, which is you know ridiculous. He's shooting sixty two percent from the field over the last month and a half. The cons, as you mentioned, voter fatigue. He's won it four times. We've seen LeBron put together basically this exact season like eleven times now. And, you know, he hasn't necessarily as great as he's been. He hasn't done anything any, you know, any more great than he did the previous 11 years. Uh, I think the narrative, if you want to say he has the narrative of, you know, carrying over from the finals, maybe working in his favor. But at the same time, I still think he's viewed generally as an unlikable guy by a lot of people. And, you know, the 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 back and forth with the media and with the GM that he had in, in December and January probably doesn't sit well with some people. Uh, and then I think there's still probably a belief that the Cavs might be underachieving considering they do have three all-stars on their team, um, you know, and, and the record, you know, isn't as great as, as a lot of people probably think it could be. So do you, do you have any issues with any of those? As far as the Cavs underperforming, I, as long as you're first in your conference, what are you worried about in my eyes? Right. Uh, especially with, the number of minutes that LeBron's logged over his career and this season, I that's not at all a concern for me. Um, his efficiency is definitely a plus. 
which I think is why he sneaks into the number two slot for me. But overall, the biggest thing with LeBron is the eye test. When he's on the court, it's just such a palpable difference. Um, and to bring the Bucks back into the conversation, when they were on national TV two games ago, LeBron sits early third quarter in the Bucks, get it back within a couple of points. Uh, Bucks team that should not be within a couple points of, of the Cavaliers right now, the way they're playing. LeBron comes back on, and it, it doesn't feel like a game the rest right. of the way. Kyrie has his Sports Center top ten crossover on John Henson, but LeBron really drives that engine of right. the number one team in the East, and it's it's not even close. Obviously, Harden, Westbrook, Kawhi, all best players on their team, but I don't think they provide as much as LeBron does as far as the overall mentality when he's on the court and the performance. Okay, let's talk about Kawhi. Pros for Kawhi. Spurs roster is aging. It has some bad defenders in the front court. It has, you know, a, a Tony Parker who is a shell of the Tony Parker that we know and love. It has a 39-year-old Manu Ginobili. You know, the third best player on this roster is probably Danny Green. And LaMarcus Aldridge, who's the second best player, hasn't even been all that good this year. Um, other pros, he's the best defender in the league. And he's a top 10 offensive player. You could probably argue that he's a top 5, 5 to 7 offensive player. So where does that where does that matter for you? That he is the best defender, best perimeter defender in the NBA. He's not the best offensive player. He's not the best initiator. He's averaging only three point three assists per game, which is by far the fewest of anyone on this list. But like, how much does what he you know how much havoc he wreaks on the defensive end? Like, how much does that sway things for you? Well, I think in a similar vein to LeBron driving things offensively for the Cavs, Kawhi drives things defensively. You don't have a great rim protector in LaMarcus Aldridge, and like you mentioned, he's not having the year that a lot of Spurs fans would want him to have, but Kawhi defensively is such a game-changer because you can lock down the other team's player, and you see this with a Jimmy Butler in Chicago where he can still he, he can play, he can play D up on, the, on one end and, and guard the best player on a team, but he can still provide offensively 26 points per game, in and of itself, in and of of itself, is impressive. But when you add that to the defensive metrics, I it's compelling. I keep coming to this. This is such a hard conversation to have because there's so many good players. But Kawhi's defense really changes things for me, and is why I put him above Curry. And maybe it's I'm looking at defense to defense, but Kawhi Kawhi's an elite defender, and I don't think anybody would argue with that. And deserving of a top five vote yeah absolutely i think right now if there was a straw poll Kawhi probably comes in at number three could be higher um it was tough to come up for cons for Kawhi leonard um and these are evidenced by the fact that the first one is he doesn't have any triple doubles this season like okay too bad he like that's not that big of a deal i don't think he's ever had one in his career um but when the guy who might be leading the MVP race has 30 and James Harden has like a 51, 19, and 18 game and LeBron has seven triple-doubles, like it's something that's going to be considered whether it's fair or not. Kawhi Leonard is not the playmaker that the rest of these guys are. He's also not really asked to be. Um, and while he's a good passer and he can be a playmaker, he doesn't have the elite type of abilities that, that, you, that you see with LeBron and, and like you see with everyone else on this list. And then the other thing working against him, and this is one that's really probably not fair, is that he's coached by Popovich. You know, it's the, would Brady win a Super Bowl without Belichick? Would Belichick win a Super Bowl without Brady? 
we don't know. We haven't seen it. And it's, you know, it's like, yeah, the Spurs are going to win, you know, 61, 62 games. Uh, but is that because Kawhi is so, you know, so dang good? Or is it because Kawhi is used so effectively in this Greg Popovich system? Well, let's just point out without Leonard, the Spurs aren't making the playoffs, right? I mean, oh, maybe an eight seed. Well, but that's the thing. I think they would make it because of Greg Popovich. Is Danny Green really doing that for you, though? Actually, before we get into this, how long have we been talking about Tony Parker not having it anymore? It's like he'll every yeah. every spring. It's a ten game run where it's like, oh boy, I don't, I don't know. Parker needs to get replaced, and then he's starting. They always do well, which maybe maybe leads into the Popovich's incredible conversation, but. They're getting a lot of good minutes out of Patty Mills this year. I will say that. I'm a big fan of Patty Mills' game. He has been a great story in my eyes. Is Tony Parker a Hall of Famer? I was going to say maybe Patty Mills for MVP. Um, yeah, maybe. Are you are you somebody who factors in the international career? Because he had a pretty good career on the French team for a long yeah, time. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I think he will get in partially because of that, you know, because it's the Basketball Hall of Fame and not the NBA Hall of Fame. But right. let's just say you're talking only NBA – does he is he does has he done enough? I don't have the numbers in front of me, but if Manu gets in, I think Parker has to get in. And that's true. Again, again, you're going into the international conversation, right? Because Manu gets in because Argentina won that gold, right? That's going to happen. Well, Man, yeah, Manu's get, Manu has a more illustrious international career than Parker does. That's part of right. it. Um, but I think Parker's had the better NBA career, so you, you're sort of right. weighing positives and negatives of both and how much um, you're putting into each conversation. I think yes. I think yes, he does yeah. um, because he had so much team success. I think that's going to matriculate its way to his individual enshrinement. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think they both get in. And I also think if you induct one, you have to induct the other. I think that's, that's kind of how it's going to work. And but they're also both so likable and coming from such a likable franchise that like I don't think anyone's really going to care. Like if Tony Parker gets in, you're not going to hear people like, "Oh my god, I can't believe they let this guy in." Whereas if they let in like a Stefan Marbury, you know, someone who's like really good numbers was good for a while, but has you know not not the the likability of those two, you might see some more detractors. Um, all right, let's finish up with Thomas and Curry real quickly. We talked a lot about it already. I had down for pros, obviously second in scoring. Uh, no other all-stars on this Boston team. They're second in the East. And then the biggest one probably is that he's 5'9". Like, that's, that's really what's driving this entire narrative. Um, if he's 6'1 or 6'2", it's just, oh, is, he's, is he better than Kyrie Irving? He's just having, like, a really good Kyrie season. It's, like, it's more impressive because he's 5'9". And, again, that's something that you can debate whether it's fair or not to take into account. Cons, he's the worst defender in the league. Um, second lowest defensive plus minus in the NBA among qualified players. Do you know who would be number one? This is really this is I, tough. I have no clue. Shabazz Muhammad, like that's that's a pretty bad indictment on old Shabazz. Um, and then the other uh-huh. con is that you know Isaiah Thomas is using thirty four percent of the Celtics possessions on offense, and even though he's shooting the ball fairly efficiently, I think part of the reason that they felt that they didn't want to add another superstar is because they didn't know if Isaiah Thomas would be able or willing, you know, to share the ball. Like I've said, the usage usage rating argument doesn't doesn't sway me one way or the other if if a guy's getting a lot of shots he's getting shots um that's true <laughs> you can't argue that if loudly, he's, if he's getting shots he is getting shots that's right <laughs> um i mean I, I i spoke at length about how i don't buy into the hype of isaiah thomas he's he's a great playmaker when you watch him play he moves the ball well which is surprising for somebody who does shoot the ball as much as he as he does but 
I think there's this subtle understanding that Boston isn't that great of a team in a relatively weak conference. So I don't think he's going to get the same due that Kawhi will, even though Boston's two and, well, I guess the Spurs are two as well. So let's say Westbrook at seven and with the, with the Thunder and Isaiah Thomas at two, three, maybe four with the Celtics. I, I just don't think that league-wide the Celtics are viewed as, as strong of a team as maybe a Western Conference contender. No. I mean, Isaiah's on this list just because we need to get five or six guys. Like, he's not, he's not going to win it. He's a, he's a legitimate candidate. In a lot of seasons, you know, in the past, like we talked about, he probably would have a legit chance to win it. But he's not, he's not – any of the, the four guys we've already talked about are firmly ahead of Isaiah Thomas. And I don't think there's anything he could do to pass them. Last guy is Curry. Like I said, I think Durant is the guy that if you wanted to throw a warrior into this discussion, he would have been the obvious choice with him being hurt. It kind of defaults to Curry. Um, he's not going to win it. He's going to probably finish in the top six or seven in votes. Part of that being the Warriors are going to be the best team in the NBA, um, and he's the best healthy player on that team. But his numbers are down virtually everywhere across the board, which is expected with Kevin Durant adding to this team. But his efficiency is also down. His three-point shooting is down. And then on top of all that, you have the voter fatigue because he's already won the last two. Right. Um, I, I think the Curry conversation kind of speaks for itself. There, there are too many good players on that team for him to get individual recognition. Uh, Durant was, I think, pretty easily the best player on that team this season until he went down. Yeah. Um, well, Nick, what's your top five? Because I'm, I've been going off on my top five and sort of trying to rationalize where each player is at, but I, I don't. Where are you at? I go Harden one, Westbrook two, LeBron three, Kawhi four, and I, I guess Thomas five. Okay, so you're you're out on Curry being in the top five despite despite the numbers. Yeah, I mean he's it's again it's tough to say because you I, I think this team has been so good that we haven't really talked about like the adjustment period of adding Kevin Durant to this roster because it just it hasn't been that much of a story because you know they haven't even lost consecutive games or anything like that. Um but no, I mean his numbers are, are like you know on the surface even 25 four and a half, six assists. You know those aren't those aren't vintage Steph Curry numbers. Like he set the bar so high the last couple of years that it's the same thing that LeBron went through in the late 2000s where, you know, you can't win them all, even though you might be deserving. We've seen you at your best, and if you don't exceed that, it's tough to reward you for it. Right, and I agree. Um, I think I'm in the same spot as you are as far as having Curry at the bottom or even off the list. Um, it's just so shocking to hear that because yeah, he hasn't had is. a terrible year. Um, he's, he's shooting still pretty well to his standards. Yeah, uh, it's just, I guess again, indicative of the of the season that the NBA's been having this year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, like, you know, without Durant, if Curry goes crazy for the next month and a half, those numbers can end up looking a little bit different by the end of it. Uh, but we'll see. Those, that was my top five. Uh, before we wrap this up, we have some breaking news: the Milwaukee Bucks have signed Terrence Jones. All right, I, I, I like it. I'm beside myself. I think that's a good that's to the rest of the season. It's a good fit for him too. Yeah, you know what the Bucks need is another big man. This well, is this is going great. Well, with Beasley, you know Beasley's out a couple weeks. I think Jones kind of slides right into that spot. How poorly timed was that Beasley injury? He was just starting to play well. I was actually watching TV or watching them play and not sarcastically saying Bees is on fire. Right. 
Well, yeah, I mean, like it's like an hour and a half before the injury happened, Jason Kidd is out there telling the media that he thinks Beasley should be most improved player. <laughs> and oh. yeah, I mean, it, the, this is really though. This is what the Buck season has come to. That we're like, oh my god, like Michael, how can how can they come back from this Michael Beasley injury? No, it's really a shame that it, it's with all the hype going into the season where it's come. But no, I think the Terrence Jones signing is it's sort of a why not. Um, yeah. Get a look at a guy who's got a lot of, uh, you know, a pretty tall ceiling and maybe turn it into something they can sign long term. I don't know. Does, does he slot into the starting role right away? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I, I still think, like, they have to decide what they're going to do with Middleton. Like, I don't know why he wouldn't have started last night and he still played, he even played 31 minutes off the bench. Uh, but I, I mean, whether he starts or not, he's probably, he's probably locked into somewhere between 15 and 25 minutes on most nights, especially until Beasley's back. Give me a thon maker, Terrence Jones front court. That's what I need to see. Milwaukee Bucks, ladies and gentlemen. All right, this is gonna wrap it up. This is really good. We should do this again sometime. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, uh, whenever, whenever you want me on, I can talk Bucks, and hopefully, I can be more optimistic the next time we do this. is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on that's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working the hvac is humming and his facility shines with Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces plus 24 7 customer support his venue never misses a beat call quickgranger.com or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done